Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. We're back with the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin at CES with Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Uh, hi, Fred. Uh, we love doing this. We sure do. And boy, do we have a great guest with us, Jill Sharapo, Strategic Marketing Director for Autonomous Driving at Intel. Thank you for joining us, Jill. Happy to be here. And Intel, as many people who listen to the podcast might know, is now the owner of Mobileye, has been for a bit. But you were involved in autonomous vehicles at Intel even before that. Tell us the background here. Yeah, we had many customers asking us to help with their autonomous driving solutions with Intel architecture. So we formed a group to focus on the car, connectivity, cloud, all aspects that are needed to deploy autonomous vehicles in the industry. Um, but um, along that, the way, the work led us to really work closely with Mobileye. So that acquisition was um, performed in October of 2017, $15.3 billion purchase. Significant. Significant, yeah. You know, and it and really. You're working it, with that team. Yeah, we work with that team closely. And the fallout of that acquisition really changed our strategy to a lot of the formats and processes Mobileye was following, especially around vision based solutions versus taking a camera, LIDAR, radar, and fusing it all in the vehicle. Mobileye has a very vision based solution, which leads to more scalability, more accuracy. Um, and just a better overall product. And the fit at Intel, I guess, is pretty obvious, all the computational power that's needed. Yeah, well, there's computational power, and there, there's also a lot of um, strategic alliances, the same customers, the same goals. And Intel is also really good about um, getting the industry to move into general directions together. For example, USB or the open architecture in the PC. And we see that as one of the things that's going to be needed for autonomous vehicles to become successful. Some kinds of standards to, to make all of this different equipment that we're Absolutely. talking about that makes it real work together. Correct. We've also implemented a open architecture for safety called the Responsibility Sensitive Safety um, Model, which is open and we're trying to encourage the entire industry to follow it as a way to determine if the car is always in safe mode. Um, kind of like we make sure every 15 and a half year old who gets their permit on the way to their license can follow a certain certain laws and restrictions on driving before they're granted their license. We don't have anything like that in the industry for autonomous vehicles right now. Right? People can, can create a car, put some cameras on it, radar, LIDAR, put it on our city streets and just test it. We don't have any testing models to make sure these vehicles are ready to deploy on our city streets and our neighborhoods. Jill, you're talking to the right guy here. Uh, well, I mean, it's really important, and I think uh, it's important now that we're really beginning to uh, beginning to deploy or beginning to have them out there. Um, you know, th these are only valuable if, in fact, uh, they are um, uh, in the market and people actually consume them. Um, you know, just testing them is you know it's fun for universities and so on, but really doesn't provide anything. 
and and the key is is that really are they ready to be out there in our communities and in some sense the other piece of it is are the communities ready to accept them and 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 uh, basically respect them and uh, and use them so that in fact we we, we get the value out of uh, out of this technology yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And this is one of my favorite topics because I think that much of the technology that autonomous vehicles are based on is in vehicles today. If you have any cars with lane departure warning or the forward collision warning or any type of actuation, we've all been in those cars that slow you down when you're in cruise control if you're getting too close to the car in front of you. It's math. And AVs are based on the same math, right? And the more we get consumers today to understand respect and use that technology properly, the better we're going to be in the future and the closer we're going to be to autonomous vehicles. Well, that's enormously important. I mean, I, I, I'm sort of at the point now saying we really have the technology or we're going to have the technology. We need to be very careful that we don't get in, ahead of ourselves and do some screw-ups like we had last year with Uber. And, uh, they, uh, you know, that, that was... That was uh, that was terrible, and it's terrible for everybody. Uh, but but beyond that, I think uh, I think we we need to. Th these are, are, are they're, they're susceptible, and they're very fragile systems, especially when we get down to the the driverless ones and the the autonomous taxi ones that really are going to provide mobility for the mobility disadvantage and so on and so forth. That's so darn important. Um, uh, but but. Uh, boy, they're fragile out there. There's nobody protecting them. Sure, we might have cameras, we might have all sorts of things observing them, but they're out there by themselves. And so we're going to have to have this respect. Uh, and, and people are going to have to say, this is a value to my community. I want it on my roads. I want people uh, using my road to get where they need to be on this. And, uh, and my children aren't going to be threatened because this thing comes down there. How to do that is, is non-trivial. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And we're talking quite a bit out in the future. And I think that the other thing we can do as an industry is really start to push for more implementation of the technologies that exist today that can make us all safer drivers. Any of the ADAS features, right? We could list them all. Right, and and we have to. I think we have to make sure that that we 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 both put the limitations out there as well as the opportunities. So in fact, that we gain, we really take advantage of the opportunities and capture them without getting ourselves, uh, like I like to say, between a rock and a hard place uh, because we went too far with it. So the understanding of of exactly where the limitations are is important. How to get that information out there? How to make? How to how, how to have the the consumer understand that and respect it and be and be be happy with it uh, uh, realizing that uh, that that's the situation they have there's the, there's the good news and there's always a little bit of bad news but let's make sure that you know you stay away from the bad news yeah and i think this is also where policy and regulation can come in um, it took almost 40 or 50 years for seatbelts to become standardized and implemented by law right abs brakes from implementation to standardization was, was decades. I was never going to use a seatbelt. Are you kidding me? Put a seatbelt on. Right. You've got to be joking. Uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, well, it took the seatbelt manufacturers to make those so that they were comfortable, so that I didn't have the complaint that, hey, this is the excuse that this is uncomfortable. Once it was easy, 
oh my goodness, uh, you know, I, I feel uncomfortable if I don't put one on. It's, it's amazing. The other thing is they're consistent. Right. If you get in his car or her car or my car right. or a rental car, they're consistent. Their usage models are the same. Same with ABS brakes, same with airbags, right? right. You know what's going to happen. Right. We need to push for some, some of the same standards when it comes to these ADAS features in vehicles. So people don't get in and, and it's like using a new interface on a phone. Right. right. It should it should be standardized. What, we should know how to use it. What perception do you get when you talk to vehicle manufacturers and tell them that that theirs should be the same as their competitors so that consumers will be comfortable with this technology? Well, I think when it comes to safety features, it's really important. There are many uh, Absolutely. We should not be competing on safety. We should be cooperating. We should well, we Alan's should take talking the, about that for a long time. The, 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 the best of breed and, and everybody should share it. That shouldn't be part of the IP, okay? That's right. <laughs> the testing data with the automated vehicles, the, the tests that are going on, all of the data that's being collected when it comes to safety, Alan has been a huge proponent that that should be shared. That's period. Shared. I mean, you know, we don't know what we don't know. When we trip over what we don't know, we should say, hey, look, uh, be careful here. And say, oh, I got this one and I'm going to compete with you on it. I mean, it's, please, come on, okay? Again, this is where Intel, Intel has helped the industry in many areas like this. And this is another area we really think that we can help by helping for us more how, how you're going to be able to do that. Okay, so one of the things we did last year is we worked with the state of Arizona. As you know, Arizona is a big hotbed for autonomous vehicles. Right, yeah, it's a big welcoming so, site. Yeah, 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 say, come here, help us. Yeah, which is and, good. And the reason is, is that, I mean, I live in Chandler, so I'm oh, around. I just happened. <laughs> oh, great. I didn't know that. Wonderful. <laughs> um, they're everywhere. The streets are wide. They're new. The lane markings are consistent. You know, there's not a lot of graffiti on the road. There are these things that make it um, a good testing bed for autonomous vehicles that need to see and, and for those that are using the LiDAR and radar. Are you using the service just on the, the, the Waymo? No, I am not. I wasn't allowed to be an early rider because I'm in the industry. Oh, they, really? They didn't let you? Oh, that's terrible. I was going to ask you also, can we create that same situation in New Jersey? I mean, can we get New Jersey DOT to put some no. paint out why, there? Yeah, why, could they at least paint a line on the road? At least paint the line on the road, yes. Uh, uh, they, they hate me. Okay. <laughs> Let's go to that topic for a yeah. second. Yeah. Um, one of the research things, we, oh, so let me get back to Last year we kicked off the Institute for Automated Mobility with the state of Arizona, the governor's office, ASU, U of A, um, NAU, the Department of Transportation, and DPS. And the goal is how do we all start to come together as an industry to create some standards around safety for these vehicles? I was talking to someone and they were a police officer and said, they said, oh, company XYZ got 40 of us together to talk about as police officers, how do we interact with these vehicles? And I responded with, as a Chandler tax holder, it breaks my heart to know they took 50 police officers off the street for 100 hours to talk to one company. This should be something that we all share. This should be a shared research. It should be open. It should be sent to every manufacturer. This is how you should design your vehicle to handle safe situations and deal with DPS. Safety is a necessary condition on this. It's not safe. Everybody's out of business. You're out of business. Uh, Waymo screws up in Chandler. We're out of business. 
you know, let's go play golf or something. I don't, you know, it's over. Okay, so and and so therefore everybody, everybody should be cooperating. You know, the rising tide lifts all ships on this thing. Absolutely, without a doubt. You know, no question as far as I'm concerned. So, what I say every day, my job is to save lives. The yeah. technology we work on is really the amount of money that has been put into this industry is disproportional to what they're making over the next decade. Really, if you go through all the acquisitions and investments that have been made. Our job, we have the most altruistic jobs in the world right now because we get to change the way we move people around and make sure they get there more safely or have a higher probability of getting there more safely. And it's not only about deaths, it's about injuries too. I mean, we don't even count the injury numbers. I mean, it, it is a good thing that so far Waymo has had basically one crash that it may be their fault at two miles an hour, right? I mean, it is. It, I mean, it's wonderful that they've done. They have to continue that, and everybody else has to continue that. I mean, that has to be the norm. That can't be the the outlier, and and I, that that just requires requires cooperation there's a there's potentially a, a, a conflict of interest a monopolistic uh, so on whatever um, issues with it I think we we, we need to, as you mentioned the, the regulations or the legislation to go out there and say hey no you're not it's not collusion if you're doing it for safety That's okay right. the other thing I would love to see before I retire is some of these basic ADAS features that we know make passengers safer become standardized in vehicles, right? You can go to a dealership, and I, I went, a couple months ago, I went um, to a dealership, and I was asking about one of the vehicles with all of these safety features on it. And when you know it, the salesman tried to talk me out of it. Of because it was an upsell package to something that I, uh, 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 some stuff I didn't really need. So at this point, only if you pay the most expensive price do you get to ride around in There's the no need for that linkage, is what you're saying. That the kind of the kind of seats you have, the, the seat coverings shouldn't be tied to the safety features. It should be a standard feature like a seatbelt. It, it should. The it, it, it really should be, and, and and I think so. I mean, I, I at least talking to dealers, they tell you why the salesmen's. It, it's all productivity. How many cars do I sell? And unfortunately, what they found is to be able to sell you some of these features, they have to spend more time with you, and the productivity, the cost-benefit on their side is just not, and that's, that's, that is just tragic. It, so, you know, dealerships, maybe they need to set up some education or whatever. Some other groups need to come in there and do it. The OEMs, maybe they have a, a separate who knows what, uh, AIAV, virtual reality, who knows what that's out there, different from the salesman. The salesman can then, you know, come out of there, slam, bam, whatever, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, but that the education be, be really brought there. And I've argued for, uh, you know, I don't know. I think More than saying is this should insurance. be standard equipment. It shouldn't insurance be something you order. Should be out there doing it because insurance benefits from this. <laughs> you know, the, the the cost of the technology is less uh, than the expected reduction in liability that they would experience. Therefore, they can actually pay for it with one, your insurance one, and one one trip to the hospital one trip to the hospital with a minor injury is more i've been right. beating on the insurance <laughs> industry for i don't know 10 years now but they are change they're are about to change uh, sorry yay <laughs> jill before we let you go um let, let me bring this up intel has been at the heart of so much 
change throughout the world, uh, societal changes, the way we live our lives. And you're involved in this space, and it would, it would seem to those of us who are talking about it on a daily basis, the changes we've seen so far, I mean, almost pale in comparison as to what's going to happen with this new mobility. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I do think it's going to be a bit more incremental, right? I think we're going to continue to add these well, features. Well, I guess the end game features. is what I'm thinking the of. The end there. game. You mean when cars we, when we, without drivers? And the, not having the cars in our driveways anymore, but this whole new picture of mobility when it comes to truly driverless transportation. Yeah, we, we issued a report about a year and a half ago with Strategy Analytics that said this could be a $7 trillion dollar opportunity. When you start to think about the services you can begin to deliver into the car, you know, once they're connected and they've got these fat pipes to them and we change those whole models. There are going to be some growing pains and people are going to try things, but just like the app revolution on our phones, right, it's going to be something similar to that. We just need to get the technology right. We need to get policy and regulation in place. We need to get those around us like insurance companies involved. And we need to be very cognizant of how we get to that point because it could be so valuable for us without killing it. Without killing it. And, and you're central to it because all that requires cycles. And guess what? That's what you're good at. And, and in a sense, those cycles need to be, are being put to use to, to improve our lives. I mean, of course one wants to do that. Terrific. For more, where can people go for more information about the, the, the work that you're doing at, at Intel? Yeah, um, all of our announcements from this week and the work we're doing in autonomous driving and ADAS is on the Intel newsroom, which can be found at intel.com. Jill Sharapa, thank you so much for taking the time with us. Thank you so much for having us. Jill, great having you. And joining us today is Dr. Helen Loeb, the CEO of JITSIC, and you've got a really interesting cap on. It says, Driver's Ed for Self-Driving. Give us an overview of what JITSIC is all about. Yes, so I'm gonna give you, so first of all, before I say anything, I want to thank you, Alain, for welcoming here, uh, welcoming me here. Hopefully you'll, you'll manage my accent. This is Southern France. Your accent is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully, you know, everybody will understand that. So the first thing I'm gonna say is that, yeah, thanks for commenting on my hat. Uh, I do have two hats. This is one that I'm wearing today. <laughs> it's called JIT6. It's a small startup. Uh, we are exhibiting right now at Eureka Park. Uh, this is Hall G uh, Level 1. So what we're interested in, and I'll come back to that. I'll, I just want to make sure you understand my two you know, different hats. Uh, so what we do with JITSIC is we want to bridge the gap uh, that we see exists between what manufacturers are developing in terms of technology, of self-driving technology, and the consumer perception. Like if, you know, poll after poll tells us that uh, people do not trust self-driving, they want to control that car, and they are not ready to let go of the steering wheel. So that's where we think there is some work to do. So again, this is my first hat. My second hat, and I do about 50-50, my second hat, I'm a researcher at the Center for Injury Research and Prevention. Uh, this is a research lab that we have at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Uh, uh, this is a lab that has been uh, uh, in existence for the past 20 years or so, with a very strong focus 
on uh, traffic safety. Uh, so my background being robotics, I've been very, very interesting in all the advance of, advancement of cell driving to see how we can, can reach the vision zero uh, objective. So I've, I publish paper, I go to conferences, I've been privileged to go twice to the smart driving cars uh, conference that, uh, that Alain organizes. And you will come to the third <laughs> one and we'll make that uh, more even successful than the past. Uh, Absolutely, I, so you have a save the date already, so it's yeah, on my yeah. calendar, so that's very exciting. So this is the two things, so I'm in academia on one side, but I'm also now like uh, an entrepreneur, trying to see what needs to be done for people to be confident about the technology, to understand what ADAS is all about. Uh, even what we see is that the terminology is like confusing for everybody. You talk about autopilot, you talk about driverless, about self-driving, so it's very, and, very And all those levels that we're not even gonna mention. <laughs> nobody, like, no professional understand what these levels are all about. Well, no, <laughs> nobody understands uh, what the levels are all about. Maybe, uh, you know, three engineers at SAE understand it, and, you know, they developed it for them, and I'm sure they were hymns that did it, and probably white. Helen, let me, sit, let, me uh, let you talk about this a little bit. It sounds to me as if your position at Children's Hospital and, and working with these children and traffic safety has informed and motivated what you're doing with this startup, Jitsik. Yeah, absolutely. I started over there and we were essentially focused on traffic, on teen driving safety. Teens are like have a catastrophic uh, 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 crash rate. Uh, I've been working with the Sharp Two uh, uh, database. It's a federal database where 3,000 uh, drivers were recorded, and we analyzed how teens drive, why they crash so much more than uh, than adults, and, and it's it's very interesting. I mean, I'll give you something that uh, you know, uh, like uh, uh, we thought they were crash three to four times more than adults but like when you look at all the non-police reported crashes it comes it jumps to like 10 times yeah, because nobody wants to report those crashes because <laughs> they because uh, your, their insurance rate is going to go up so so much or they're going to lose it that my goodness you pull the money out of your pocket if you can afford it now, right dis distracted driving certainly is not uh, isolated uh, to, to teenagers but I think perhaps percentage-wise, they're, they're on their phones all the time, and it's hard to get them off their phones even when they're behind the wheel. Yes, correct. I mean, teenagers, first of all, they think they're invincible. That's number one. And the other thing is that they have not acquired, like, maybe some, like, uh, uh, judgment uh, uh, that uh, adults, you know, may have. We say we know that you know their frontal cortex doesn't is not completely developed till 25 years old. So they don't they don't realize that, you know, maybe occasionally yes some adults do text, but but they know when to put the thing down. And teenagers just don't know that you don't have time to send that text. Not now. Put it down. Focus on your intersection. Get focused. So tell me how that uh, all plays a role in this startup, Jitsik, uh, driver's ed for self-driving. Right. So from my perspective, seeing all the development of self-driving and, you know, with my background in robotics, I anticipate that, you know, there's so much you can 
do in terms of behavioral change and like, you know, policy making. So I love engineering. I think engineering has a lot to bring to the table. I welcome all the self-driving innovation. I'm looking forward to the day it can be uh, deployed in a massive way. I think this is the most uh, 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 efficient way to reach the vision uh, zero perspective. Like to, I mean, 94% of crashes are, are caused by human error. So <laughs> if you get take pe people out of the loop, then you get a really, really uh, strong improvement in your crash rate. So I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, having this uh, technology uh, deployed, uh, deployed safely, deployed safely for teenagers, but also deployed safely for all kinds of other people, uh, people who are not privileged to drive because they have medical conditions that prevents them from driving, or people like elderly people who no longer go on the highway or who no longer drive by night. And uh, I'm hoping that the self-driving is going to empower these people to reclaim uh, uh, mobility. And so this is what we are trying to do. And when you say driver's ed for self-driving, what are you talking about? We, we've this here at CES, for instance, the National Safety Councils announced a program called PAVE with the, with the CTA and, and others trying to, I guess, inform the public of what's going on and prepare the public. Right. Is that the similar space that you're looking at? Yeah, absolutely. That's totally right. The idea is educate, inform, prepare. That's, those are the key words. Uh, we want to uh, people not necessarily to tell them this is level one, this is level two, because oh, nobody's going to get that. <laughs> nobody's going to get I'm that. No, are you kidding? <laughs> But, I mean, but, but just to know whether or not they have auto brake on their car would be like a good start. And uh, know like if they have like autopilot on their car, like let's say, let's say you have a Tesla, when is it safe to engage autopilot? Which types of road? And uh, that, that is so important because right now you, you, you have the, the marking, marketing or the promotional aspects of, uh, of the auto manufacturers wanting to sell this and then you have to go to the fine print of your manual if it's even there that then tells you whether or not there are any limitations and how to, how to make this so that it's understandable so that the, it's not fine print so that uh, you know what's the mechanism uh, how does it gently tell you that yes uh, uh, you have automated emergency braking but it really doesn't work if there's a, a stationary object in the lane ahead because my goodness we're afraid that of the false alarm rate and therefore uh, you better pay attention how do you how do you present that to individuals so that they understand it without scaring them and without making them take take the vehicle back to the showroom or turning the whole thing off or being frustrated by it? How do you how do you optimize uh, their consumption of these uh, of these safety features? So it's really a great thing that you're doing with it. Right. So yeah, I mean, thanks for for the lead, Alan. So what we are really trying to do is uh, you know look for tools, look more methods to bridge that gap. So right now our GT, our GTC approach is to develop simulators so that people uh, uh, feel safe and so we can demo just all these like 
uh, situations where you might have something on the road, where you might have a pedestrian crossing. So we can demo this in the safe way. Where, where, where would you intend to demo them? So what we, right now, our, our prime approach is to partner with driving school. So bring driving simulation to driving schools because we think that uh, 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 driving school, that's a prime place for uh, driver and should be the prime place for uh, driver's education. So this is like already an existing network of people who can who can teach people. But in addition to that, we anticipate that uh, uh, that maybe dealerships could be another place to go uh, where you could experience uh, a safety package uh, before you buy it. Uh, so in, in essence, telling uh, somebody who's buying a car or getting a license or whatever that this is what the vehicle can do and can't do because right. very often people might assume it can do everything. Absolutely. And what we think is that uh, you, you, you don't, I mean, it, the best way to understand things is to always to experience it. So we think that by having a simulator, you can actually turn on, turn off the autopilot feature, see how they work for you. And uh, this is better than we think, that, uh, than a driver's manual that nobody, nobody reads. So try it on for yourself, see how it works, buy that safety package if it's, if it's an additional cost, and be ready to use this on the road, and you know what to expect. It, it would be really interesting if the uh, auto OEMs were to, to pr participate in this development, uh, to create an experience in the dealership that doesn't take the time of the salesman or doesn't take the time of the sales force because they're interested the faster they can sell a car. That, you know, I mean, and that's not going to change. And no doubt but, they would sell know, more of these packages. And, and they would sell more of the packages, but, you know, it's almost a truth in advertising. You know, come out front. You know, this is what it does. This is what it really can do. Uh, I don't know if, if you want to be a jerk, you can do this. I don't know, you know, the, the whole, but the design of this is non-trivial, uh, but, but the opportunity to do such a thing so that, so that people know what they're getting into and can appreciate the positive pieces and not get themselves between a rock and a hard place on the, on the negative pieces. I mean, right? Helen, where can people go to get more information about, the, about Jitsi? Right, so we, uh, we are located right now, we have two prototypes uh, on display that you can try. On display, uh, this is Eureka Park. Uh, did I pronounce this right? People don't understand yes. when you're, I say you're getting it. Right. Yeah. But that's here at CES. <laughs> yeah. that's um, here but at but CES. for other people who want to learn about Correct. what Jitsik is doing. So, I mean, you can go online, jitsik.com. We have a little bit of uh, information over there. Uh, we, are, we work off uh, Philadelphia. Uh, we are... Uh, we, we, we came out of uh, Drexel University, so we got, we got funding from Drexel to get started. And now we are about to, to partner with driver school, with driving school. We are gonna, I mean, we have a lot of like, the different developments uh, uh, you know, in, the, in the pipeline. Uh, but yes, I mean, go, go on our website, www.jitsik.com, J-I-T-S-I-K, jitsik.com. And uh, yeah, and come and learn about wh what we're doing. Well, congratulations on what you're doing, Dr. Helen Loeb. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you very much. For my, thank you for having us. Uh, Helen, great to have you. Okay. And, and, and I'm really excited about your startup. This is the beginning, but this is a, this is a really uh, good effort in terms of uh, addressing uh, this, uh, this complete uh, lack of, uh, of, 
of reality associated uh, with uh, this technology. That's it for this special edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Stay tuned for more from CES. I'm Chris Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening.